0: Hello and welcome to the show. Very happy to be in your ears today. It's your friend Chase and you're listening to the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. And you know all about this show. This is where I sit down with amazing humans and I do everything I can to unpack their brains with the goal of helping you live your dream and career and hobby and in life. And my guest today is someone I've been hoping to have on the show for a couple of years. He's the one and only, the inimitable Mr. Christoph Neiman, who, if you're not familiar with his work, is an amazing illustrator. He's an artist and author, and he also does a bunch of animation, and I became acquainted with his work uh, from the covers of The New Yorker, Nat Geo, New York Times Magazine, etc. I've seen him in museums, and I really loved, uh, if you're familiar with the Netflix series called Abstract. Uh, they did a 45 minute documentary on Christophe that is just spectacular by another former guest on the show, Scott Davich. Um, let's see what else about Christoph. He, uh, is drawn live from the Venice art Biennale, the Olympic games. And he sketched the New York city marathon while actually running in the marathon, um, he created The New Yorker's first augmented reality covers, hand-drawn uh, VR animation for The New Yorker's U.S. Open issue. He's got commercial clients like Hermes, Google, and the MoMA, that is the Museum of Modern Art. Um, this guy is a legend, uh, and he's really in- interestingly connected with a handful of people we've already had on the show um, across a handful of different disciplines, and I I, I love these connective points. Um And he does a great job of helping us understand uh, how all of the struggles that we go through as creators, there's so many similarities that if by sharing our solutions to these similarities, that we can make it better for all of us. How to not be intimidated by trends and how to stay uh, focused on your vision. How to manage social media as a test ground, but not to get attached to the algorithms uh, telling you how many likes or or, or uh, thumbs ups or thumbs down um, you got, how being your harshest critic is something that is required if you're going to make the most of your creative work, and like 10 other things that help us understand that we're all in this together. Um, Christophe is so sweet and kind and funny and smart. Um, and he's coming to us today from his studio in Berlin. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you enjoy this conversation with renowned illustrator Christoph Niemann. Before we do, just a super quick word from Creative Live, and then we'll be off on the show. This episode of the show is brought to you by Creative Live. This is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education, bar none. No questions asked. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't aren't you the founder of that? Indeed. I am, and that is one of the reasons I believe deeply in it, but I will let 10 plus million students speak for me in this endeavor. Uh, This is where Pulitzer Prize winners, it's where the New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best, teach classes in creativity like photography, video, art, design, music and audio, craft, maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of these disciplines. There's health and wellness classes, There, it's the total package for any creator or entrepreneur. And I have to say that I have put my entire lifeblood into this thing as have the dozens and dozens of people who work there and about a thousand of the world's top creators who teach on this platform. Well, I used to encourage you to buy classes and would have discounts on those classes, but you know what? This year we are doubling down on subscription. Well, a single class used to be like $99 or $149. And we have now moved to a, a subscription first world where you get all of the content. That's right, tens of thousands of hours of content, thousands of classes for one subscription price. And it's a 100 and change over at creativelive.com slash creatorpass. That is always where the best price on that exists at, again, creativelive.com slash creatorpass to unlock the entire library. All right, uh, that about wraps it up. Now let's get back to the show. Christoph Neiman, welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh man, when I shared with the, uh, this with you before we went live that uh, you've been on our list of people that we wanted to have on the show for some time and um, your drawings and illustrations have inspired me along with so many in the Creative Live audience for a long time and I am fascinated by your process uh, and that is where I want to spend some of our time uh, to start off our conversation this morning. Um, Before we get too deep there, though, give us just a little bit of of, uh, background, Um, where you're from, how you were initially interested in art and creativity, and then we'll talk about uh, all of the work that you have put out in the world. But first, take us back to the start.
1: Well, the start is that probably like most of us, I can't remember the time where I was essentially not doing what I'm doing today. You know, like drawing, thinking of images, looking at mag magazine, like any serious artist, you know, this is how you spend your childhood. Um, and then you know, always wanting to do something like that. And it wasn't necessarily illustration. It was just like, that's more where I ended up with. Um, and then I studied graphic design not because I wanted to study graphic design, but because in Germany it was actually not able, uh, it wasn't possible to study illustration. So I had to do the larger thing. And I'm so happy that happened uh, because that meant I had to uh, study photography, study typography, uh, filmmaking, all these things were part of this uh, caution. I wasn't necessarily that interested in that when I was studying, but in retrospect, this really informs what I'm doing today because it has gone beyond drawing Nonetheless, when I was uh, like in my like fourth, fifth semester, I realized i was studying in Stuttgart, where I come from, southwestern Germany. Fantastic school, but even though I felt that all the important work happens at the desk, I realized at some point there's something about the world out there that you have to expose yourself to. And uh, I wanted to do an internship, and I when I happened to go to New York. I looked through my yearbooks, and I felt all the pieces that interested me. They were like from the Times, from the New Yorker, from the ad agencies in Madison Avenue. Um, and so I applied for internships first with Paul Davis, fantastic illustrator, designer, um, also part of the Pushpin group. And then in the year after that with Paula Scher at Pentagram,
0: oh, so yes. it's where I kind of
1: got my first kind of taste of New York. I started doing some editorial illustration and then I moved there after graduation, basically the week after I moved to New York, spent 10 day, uh, 10 years doing almost exclusively editorial work, which I absolutely love and still love, but it was really, that was my lifeblood. Um, And then in 2008, I moved to Berlin, uh, still working for New York a lot, but just changing things up. Um, And since then, I've been doing much more self-generated work. So doing essays, uh, stories, series, still a lot for editorial, but it's not so much the assignment, it's not so much the written article, it's more my own impulse. Um, Doing a lot of prints, museum shows, different things, and I felt I'm trying to change with the times because i think that's probably like the one the biggest thing i learned is that even though i in my head i have an idea of what i want to do this is a communication profession it's about what happens between the audience and me and we all change so then the way we communicate has to change as well um and this is like this is what drives me into the studio every day
0: oh man well, what, what I heard was so much variety in both your background, the, the uh, work that you have endeavored to put out, um, and speaking of variety, um, people all over the world thanking you for spending your time with us today. We've got New York, New Jersey, California, Kansas, Mumbai, India, Northampton, UK, uh, more Southern California, another New York. Oh uh, we the, the South Africa contingent just showed up so to say that that uh, <laughs> oh. you've inspired uh, you've inspired people from all over the world is not an understatement um i found it interesting that you mentioned studying graphic design not because you wanted to but because it was all that was available was that a limitation of the school system was that a limitation or were you always just interested in illustration and design was the closest thing to it or how did you make were you aware that you were an illustrator and graphic design was just a way to get close to what you really wanted?
1: Well, I have to be really precise. I didn't want to become an illustrator. I want to become a black and white illustrator. Wow. Because I like my youth was growing up with felt pens and I hated them because you could never really do proper you know, like flat color and black and white, you know, when you work with ink on paper, that's the only way you can do perfectly sexy black and white shapes that looks like it was printed. So I was like, I was really on a warpath with with color because like this whole messy watercolor thing. Markers, these magic markers where everything looks cloudy. I hated that. So if it wasn't, would have been for me. I would have wanted to study ink, black and white illustration. So everything else was a compromise. Um, no, but the the study system in Germany, you study when you're a little, a little later. So I was, I think, twenty one or so. I had to do social services before, um, and then you. It's really um, two four semesters of basic basic education, a lot of drawing and then all the other things I mentioned and then in your, basically you automatically do a master's. Uh, and then that master was in illustration but the whole system was built on the idea that you have to do illustration on the foundation of graphic design. You get a graphic design degree but, uh, and I, this is something I wholeheartedly agree with, that when you work in, as an illustrator especially today, you need to have a view from the entire context. I couldn't think of like doing illustration today without moving images. This is by now, I think that there's, I guess when you're like in the middle of your career, you might get away with, but if you're a young illustrator and you don't have some moving image, uh, imaging uh, qualities in your portfolio, I think you, you're, you're in trouble. Thinking in the context of typography of, of graphic design is so vital. You don't have to do it professionally all the time, but I think you have to get, have an extremely firm sense of that. So. In retrospect, I think that was the only way to study illustration with that padding from all these different sides.
0: Well, you've named so many of the folks that are just absolute icons in graphic design. Also, folks who are on Creative Live. You mentioned the folks at Pentagram, uh, Michael Beirut, Paula Scher, Both uh, taught here at Creative Live. And if you're a designer, um, I would steer you toward some of those classes. Did that? Did that? Um, was that an early childhood dream to put yourself? in the context, if you will, the the folks who were leading the charge and at what point um, did you move to the U.S.? You mentioned that the stuff that you liked was coming out of The New Yorker, the editorials and a lot of the advertising on Madison Avenue where folks like Michael Beirut and Paula were were um, leaders. At what point in your career did you see that and come to the U.S.? And was that an important move in your development to put yourself... Amongst the you know the thriving uh, global, I, I guess that maybe the centerpiece of the work that you wanted to do. How important was that?
1: it, it was hugely important. And I don't consider myself like an extremely uh, adventurous person who you kind know, of oh I'm just going to go to a different country where I don't really speak the language, don't really have the like, the cultural background. And it was really it was at first it was the internship, and so I do this internship. I find myself in New York on Paula's team. And then they always had lunch at pentagram in in, in a room. And all of a sudden you you sit across from Michael Friggin Beirut, like for lunch and hear him talking he's, I mean, he's one of the wittiest, smartest, he's an incredible designer. He's also an incredible uh, writer on top of every, which is kind of unfair. And I was like, this is real because I didn't assume I would go there and have these interactions. It was more, uh, I go to New York, but that you actually end up Kind of having contact was just was mind-boggling um, and there was this moment at the end of my studies where everybody in, in Stuttgart it was kind of you go to Berlin or Hamburg that's where the big advertising agencies were or, or Frankfurt or Berlin had the media That was kind of like what you would do and I felt that you know I'm at this point I was 26 um, and there's this amazing thing when you're 26 where you, like, you kind of know what you're doing you studied so you can like you have the, the, the basic craft. But your your pain threshold is so incredibly high. Like it, it's just not when you're 40 or even 35. And I, I sensed that, and this is something I'm kind of proud of that I sensed at the time that this is a unique chance where you can do something as insane as moving to New York. Where you know, of course the whole apartment thing was a nightmare, the work permit, all these things. If I had to go through that, stuff again today. I would I just wouldn't I wouldn't make it. And this is something I've been telling students all over. It's like this this kind of insane mix of chops and talent and, and craft and navigate. This is a magic mix. You probably have you have a time window of five years in your life where it doesn't matter how long you sleep, you can kind of have all this input, you can have the output, it doesn't matter like what happens around you, you can still function. And I think this is the one thing I'm really proud and happy with that, I, with that I took advantage of this window. Because I know with 35, I couldn't have done that. And it, it's even like, it was expensive, of course, to do that, but it's not even a question of money. It's really, it's a mindset um, that uh, everybody has, this, I, I think, a, a short window uh, with. And, and I'm so happy that I took that advantage to just go out there. Then spend you know like the years two years struggling kind of getting getting my my um, getting my assignments, but most importantly, really just dealing with life in New York, which is you know it is absolutely insane. Um, and then kind of slowly, kind of like getting my my footing after that.
0: Uh, when Sunday Sketching came out, which is uh, one of your several books. You've got like four or five, and a couple children's books with if if you are a parent and. You are watching this. It's. It would be really. I. I have to advise checking out Petting Zoo and Chomp, uh, a couple of uh, kids apps that uh, you created with John Wang. Uh, just the breadth of your work and the. You, you talked about the energy that you have as a. You know, in, in your mid twenties, and yet, here you are continuing to crank out work. And I'm wondering, is that a product of, is that still this mindset piece that you talked about? Or is that a product of just doing what you love? And have you found your spot in the world? And if so, what would you tell other people who haven't yet found that?
1: Um, I'm no. I feel as far as that goes, it's pretty consistent. I, this is what I love doing. And I, I it's not even that I get bored with one thing and I have to do another one. It's just like I'm truly interested in all these different things. Then technology has enabled me to do things. Now Yeah, doing something like this app or doing a video now that I can put together in a day would have taken like a team of 20 people and like $100,000 probably only 10 years ago. I mean, just like, the, the camera in my iPhone is just is an incredible piece of technologies. So now all of a sudden I can, I can do all of these things and I have to do them. I think the biggest difference from today to maybe you know, 10, 15 years ago is that I've worked a lot on, on a system where I can actually spend more time working and dealing less with other stuff. And this is a constant battle to kind of free up time, kind of like run the studio in a way that i i can really like as have as much creative time at my desk as possible and there was a time maybe like roughly like you know, eight nine years ago where i kind of always refused to have an assistant because i feel I'm, i have to explain everything this is impossible i can't do this what happened is like i was basically doing admin from i was, would work for two hours from Kind of 9 to 11, then do admin until 5 or 5.30, and then like the real creative work started after that, which was a nightmare, yeah, booking flights and doing taxes and writing invoices, and this, this whole system was untenable, and what I've figured out now is to really get much more creative time out of it. And I think if you get five hours every day of time where you sit at the desk, Drawing, thinking, not not producing finished artwork, but five hours of just time with a pencil in your hand, you can do the most incredible amount of work, and you can have the most insane output. But it's actually a huge, I find it a huge challenge. It takes a lot of help. It takes a lot of, like, probably also a lot of privilege to get five hours. This is it sounds little, but it's 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 really a lot. But once you have that, and you have to do this whatever like three hundred something days a year that yeah you can get some stuff done
0: yeah wow well i think five hours is it does sound luxurious but i know so many people watching and listening um we've got lori and janelle and mark and manny and john um abhishek uh patricia for just to name a a few that um the concept of being able to do the work that you love and to do it at the level that you do it, it requires commitment. And clearly five hours at someone who is as advanced as you are in your career, it is, it's a huge amount of time. And yet I think it's fascinating that that's where you, you attribute, it seemed to me you attributed a lot of the credit to your process. Now, before we go super deep into process, talk to me a little bit. You said you have a system for not, being, not, not getting trapped in admin. So I want to I wanna hear what that system is, and then I want to go to your, pro, uh, your, your process and in doing so reference a, b- a bunch of things that you said in, in Sunday sketching. So what is this magic uh, system that you've got for not getting sucked into the admin? Is it just hiring people to do jobs that you don't like to do, or what, what's your uh, solution?
1: Well, a lot of it really had to do with um, getting to work with other people. And that was something I refused to, in retrospect, there was like the one thing where I really felt I didn't think this through properly or probably my angle was too limited. I was, yeah, you know, so many, so many of us are one team, uh, uh, one person teams and, and we do everything. And then you, you almost feel like you built this perfect machine where every finger is like on five levers. And if you, feel, oh God, if somebody else has to kind of come in and, 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 uh, uh I have to explain them how all the stuff works. The whole thing will just explode. And what I didn't think, and this, this was really in retrospect, I, I can so clearly see what, what that thing was. I didn't think of, like, what if I had somebody who would help me, that would allow me to do stuff? And I would be so crazy. It's like my favorite example. When I was in New York, I'm working like with other people in the studio, but I'm working all by myself. At some point, I realized I have to. I cannot go to the post office. Whenever a job required going to the post office, I will turn it down. If somebody wanted like my portfolio mail, I said, can't do it. Because everything that makes me, where I have to leave my desk, this is just, it's absolutely impossible. And so I'm like, just learn to live without sending stuff. Anything that wasn't digital didn't work. Any original, somebody says, oh, I love the drawing. Can I buy it? It's like, no, because then I have to pack it and do something just like, it's not happening. And all of a sudden I had people working with me and I realized, Oh, the post office is an option again. I can start doing silk screens. I can communicate, I can send little cards to people and all of a sudden, yeah, new possibilities arose. Um, and so th- it really has a lot to do with people and having systems, you know, it's this is really boring stuff. Having your um, tech in order. Dropbox, and I don't want to advertise any, like I'm sure there's other services. Dropbox has saved me probably now three hours a day. I remember just you know you're at the studio you're working on something you're going home oh i forgot the file you go back to the studio email the file and then at some point you just like email all the files all the time you get lost and they it was like two hours just every day trying to find the right file um so i think having a super tight system for having your stuff online organized um having your taxes you know accounting it's just it's the driest thing possible uh, 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 imaginable but if there's one mistake in there and you get an audit or there's something wrong three days go by to clean that mess up three days where you cannot work so doing the this it's it's unsexy yeah oh we're artists we don't love to do that i don't really love to do it but i just know it allows me to better to do better artists. If I don't have to deal with this stuff constantly, if it's not constantly nagging in the back of my head, like, oh God, like you didn't really save enough for taxes, and oh God, like, can I afford the next computer? It is a privilege, but I think if you can afford to have a good system in place for all the boring stuff, it will allow your mind to focus on the stuff that we care about, which is, you know, a piece of paper in front of us this is this is all that matters and all the all the other stuff is a distraction the only way you can get it away is to have it organized
0: i love your you you talk about it as a bit of a luxury but this is a really consistent theme you're very clear in what how you're articulating it. other guests the brandon stanton who created created the humans of new york which you may be familiar with oh yes yeah, you yeah. know he, he's so protective of his time and this idea that if you as an artist are able to, through financial means, through collaboration or through other means, um, maximize the amount of time that you can spend doing your craft, or if you can keep that time free in order to um, explore. And as you talked about putting you know, pen to paper, that that is the way to the most happiness and to the best work. So you've been a, a, an open advocate On process which is sort of the tip of the spear we've just been talking about and in Sunday sketching um, there's a a pull quote that says relying on craft and routine is a lot less sexy than being an artistic genius but it is an excellent strategy for not going insane
1: (laughs) it's it's true I mean I um, I think like my the one way I try to approach everything is really try to compartmentalize. And also yeah, try to compartmentalize what I do every day. And when you're a professional designer, photographer, uh, like doing motion graphics, everything, there is your day job. And your day job is to kind of create decent stuff that solves other people's problems. And the bar is doing what I like to call unembarrassing work. Uh, somebody needs something, it needs to, like, you know, if you do a movie, it needs to not stop. It needs to have a beginning and an end. It needs to really have full color. Um, if I do an editorial illustration, I need to do something where they don't get bombarded with letters to the editor and say, this is the most embarrassing thing ever. Whether that thing makes it into an annual or even into my portfolio has nothing to do with my assignment. This is not what people want from me. So I think the first thing I have to do is learn to reach that level of unembarrassing, no matter what, no matter how tired I am, no matter what day it is, no matter what the assignment is, not, no matter how the client behaves or misbehaves, this is something you have to have down cold. And this is something, I, th- fortunately, that I think we can learn. This is just you know, like, like whether you know, you're a photographer, I'm sure I can send you out now. It can You can rip off your headphones, run out and do a decent photo. Something you can print in a magazine and in uh, a poster, and this is not because you're a genius, which you are also, but because you've done it for years and years. You just like have the craft. It's a little too dark. I'm gonna do this, and this is the thing that lets you sleep at night. And then on top of that, we can say, okay. Maybe and this is a question of luck, you know. Like maybe one day you walk out and you know, this magic thing happens. This bird flies by right at the right moment, lines up with the lamppost, and this is the stuff that then ends up in your portfolio, and everybody goes, Oh, he's a genius. No, there was there was luck. But the luck was only possible on this, on this kind of on this foundation of doing it over and over and over again. Um and the beautiful thing of that is, it relieves us of this pressure to have a magic moment. I think, um, uh, because this is too much. Like, if you sit there and you feel I have to come up with something that will end up being the, the kind of the cover of my retrospective, this, this is something that I find absolutely suffocating. But I think this is kind of our often our like was for me for a long time. This was my default position. It's like, oh my god, people expect. Like me to kind of live up to my lucky moments, and this is terrible. It just and this will make it absolutely impossible to actually create something
0: magic. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm gonna keep reading a couple of pull quotes from the book because it's just it. It epitomizes what you're sharing right now. And there's some graphs here, some charts about, you know, getting good work out there in the world. And it says even in the absence of talent and inspiration, you can through sheer practice. Become so good at art that you can reliably deliver, quote, very good work. Now, great work, that's something else entirely. For great work, you also need a lot of skill and craft, but you need something else that you can't control. The next graph has a picture of this, the bar chart of craft with a cherry on top. And it says, once you've accepted this, your life actually becomes a lot easier. And if you're a client, remember all you can ask from an artist is very good work. Great work is not actually planable. Do you stand by that?
1: No, I stand by it. And this is I find this very challenging. Um also because I changed my work, you know, some of the work that I do now, you know, often on Instagram, they're really spontaneous sketches and they're fun. And I know they work on this whole like social media s- sphere, but actually for a professional designer, these things are stupid because people come and say, Oh, I like that thing. Can I have three more of that? And usually that's the deal. When, when I look at your portfolio and you, show me a certain quality of whatever lighting, and I say, oh, can I hire you for a, for a campaign? And you go like, oh, no, sorry, that was just a lucky shot. There's no way, I cannot recreate this. You cannot, this is not a professional um, this is not a professional attitude. Of course, it's flattering when people like it, but I think a, a portfolio, techni- it's, it's a promise. And I think, especially when you're starting out, you have to be extremely careful about what you put in your portfolio because people will ask you to do something like that. And this is a difference. For me, the, the difference between art and illustration is not so much a quality thing, it's more really a question of how much you can promise it. I can, if I have a lucky moment, I can put it on the wall, I can sell a print of it and say like this. I did this, I'm proud of it. Hopefully if you like it, it's great, but I can't recreate it. And you know, we often have that anywhere at art school, it's likenesses. You draw a perfect likeness of somebody. You just catch the spirit of whatever Tom Cruise. And it's just like, it's awesome. I'm going to put this in my portfolio. It's a perfect drawing. People will come to you and say like, oh, now do Samuel L. Jackson. The one thing is what you to your clients, yeah. whether you promise uh, like a lucky moment. But the even more, I think, dangerous thing is if you expect it from yourself. If you look at your, uh, the stuff that you do and feel like, oh God, it was like I, I look back at kind of like the five great things that happened maybe a year ago, five years ago, and you're judging the thing that you're creating right now and you feel, oh, does it live up to that? Because again, this, it's put so much weight, it, it, it eats
0: up all the oxygen that's so necessary,
1: I think, to create work.
0: Yeah, the concept of process is something that is so unsexy and it flies in the face face of the, 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 myth of the genius. And yet over and over on this show, you know, probably hundreds of conversations, the answer, the antidote to frustration and feeling blocked is a really crisp process where you just sit down and you go to work. And I wanted to ask you to balance this concept of practice and process with us because you've also said, uh, I remember, I'm not quite sure which book it was, but the concept of only focusing on your craft can also get you on trouble because what if you spend all of your time focused on the wrong thing? You've said something about that. I'll find it here in my notes, but this idea, uh, I think you, you, it was like a, a chef spending too much time working on a hamburger. When everyone's going vegetarian, <laughs> or something like that, help help us. No, help. it's how do you yeah. both focus on craft and process, but also, you know, not get lost, not get um, passed by with the, the zeitgeist and what's happening in the world. How do you how do you balance those two things?
1: Well, I th- I think it's important when you are like earlier we said that the you know, the craft is a foundation, but it's only the foundation. It's not the house. And you maybe you feel like oh this feels great and let's, let's say you draw and you have a certain certain shapes that work certain ways to do figures maybe certain a certain way ways to to make jokes to tell stories and all oh, people come for them like they, they like them and then you do it again and they come again nobody will ever tell you it's enough they 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 stop call, calling but nobody ever says oh, can you. Go into a different direction. This is on ourselves. We have to. I think this is the only way. that we, we have to we have to come up with this inspiration to kind of leave what's um, what's working. And this is difficult because you know what's difficult is easy and, and what's what what what's familiar is easy. Um, so I think this is the whole thing with with like when you rely too much on craft, this, you can get lost in this thing. And w- what I said earlier, we are it's a communication business that we're in. And if we lose the other side, yeah, you know, they're not in there. They're not listening to us to listen to us. They want to hear about themselves. We want to, like, we, I want to create art that gives people a way to kind like, start a thinking process. So ultimately, without the audience, the art is nothing. I, there's nothing more boring for me than artists who kind like, of do art to kind like, of show the world how smart they are. I want to feel smart. And I want to feel inspired as, a, as the as the audience when I look at something. This is this is what matters. What happens between the piece of paper and the eyes and brain of the audience. This is where all the magic happens. What I do, what happens between me and the piece of paper. This is just is happening at my desk, but it doesn't matter. Um, but I also, and for me, there was a, it was a very long way to to that realization. I think the the misconception that we have about creative work, or a lot of people have, is that we look, we read a book, and fireworks go off, and we feel, we cry, or we laugh, or something amazing happens, and we feel, this is writing, because this is how we experience writing, as this surprising, emotional, makes us cry, laugh, or whatever, and we feel, okay, I'm full of emotion as I read things, so I probably have to be full of emotion as I write things because this is my experience with a book. And so I start writing and I go like, oh, I'm just like in love or my heart is broken. And I started writing. I'm gonna produce a huge pile of crap, I think, because the reaction we get as readers and what we have to put in to cause that reaction are different things. I think if I wanna make somebody cry through words, I have to very deliberately move the words back and forth. I have to set up the emotional tension and then I have to do a twist and I have to go down that path 50 times and say, okay, I have to hold back the information. I have to wait two phrases longer. I I move that one adjective in and out. It's all about, you know, arranging the breadcrumbs that for the reader, the firework goes off. And I think there's no better illustration than, than the aha moment that you have when you look at an idea. The aha moment you want to have as a reader but to create an aha moment for me at least never there's never an aha moment when I draw the aha moment is is like kind of lighting the fuse kind of like arranging the path it's a very like small unspectacular set of decisions that leads to that um, to then for the reader have the other thing. And I think if you, as a, as, a, as an artist or as a designer, sit there and try to have an aha moment in front of the piece of paper, that's when you have the writer's block. That's when you have the fear of the white page. But I think there's no way to overcome that with waiting for aha.
0: Waiting for aha, that's the next name, the name of the next book. Uh, <laughs> Oh, no, you are you're, you're saying the same thing. And I guess we had on not too long ago Roxanne Gray, who's an essayist for the New York uh, Times, said, it, You know, I'm a professional at making you feel that way. That's where my profession is in these small moves of words. And the distance between the emotional response that you are having when you read it and the, the, the response of the creator who's creating it might be a thousand miles. Right. The, the the work that you're doing to lay the foundation, that is the training that is, you know, how 25 years doing your craft where you know what word order to put them in. And that that does, I think, take a little bit of pressure off. Um, but I want to shift to a different kind of pressure. And you've been very clear as a mechanism for, you know, not getting blocked to just sit down and do work, you know, compartmentalize as much as you can, have some processes and yet, uh, we are in an industry and a time, and I'll say industry by a creative industry, so that's photography, filmmaking, uh, building businesses, all of these things where things are accelerating. Right, the the size of the teams in at magazines, uh, the many of the magazines that you work at, or the ones that are the most revered in our culture. Um, you know, they used to have huge staffs, and now it's just a couple of folks and a handful of freelancers and the speed of which business is sort of getting turned under and having to be reinvented that's that's only accelerating and this is so stressful for so many of the creators that are listening and watching and speaking of I got to give shout out to some to Janelle asking us for more of this great advice we got LA in the house we got people all over want to know like our industry is continuing to change. And how, as creators, do we manage this, this ever seemingly ever accelerating treadmill of work?
1: Oh, it's, it's a difficult one because I feel I, um, I'm, right now, it seems to work. But I wouldn't be surprised if like, tomorrow it stops working. It would be, and, and if I'm totally surprised and I have absolutely no solution on, on how to solve it. So you know, it's always a hypothetical. I wouldn't like, if, if you tell me, oh, five years from now, it's gonna be over for me, for you, for everybody, I would say, yes, good good chance of that happening. Um, there, There's a couple of small things. Again, I think you cannot ignore technology. This is something that no matter what, we have to like, be on top of that. It can enable us to be more versatile, reach wider audiences. Um, there is, um, I feel, even, I love to compare what we do to sports. And I, in, in, in there's something that I think we're only at the beginning of this. Uh, again, a question of, of privilege where like 20 years ago, like, Draw a couple of funny pictures. Kind of like once you kind of like in the system of editorial work, you kind of like find you're like an in crowd, the art directors know you, you get work. Um, now this is so much, the, the turnover is faster. You have to constantly, as you say, worry about this stuff. So you have to craft in terms of what I'm putting on the page, but I think like sports people, we have to start thinking about our mental health. How can we can kind I of have the just deal with this uncertainty we, uh, um, and just still do work and I think this you know what I loved when I kind of came to New York where it's just like you have deadlines and you meet the deadlines and then for at night you go out with with your friends for beers and like for the other designers and then you kind of talk about the stuff and it kind of had this kind of this uh, fantastic kind of hardcore like oh we're in there and it's it's tough but we love it and uh, it's also slightly abusive but it's also kind of fun. And I think maybe it's also growing older, but I think it's very important in this time that you find something in you as a found, as an emotional foundation to deal with all these things. And whether it's a hobby, whether it's family, I think friends absolutely crucial to have uh, 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 um, to kind of soften the blow of these things. Is and this is not a luxury? This is not oh I'm too soft to work. 14, 16 hours a day. I think this is an absolutely essential part of it. Um, another thing, which you know, again, for the first five, 10 years of my, uh, of my professional life, I didn't even think about it. I was reading the paper because I was doing um, political stories. I would go see the movies, but i never thought about input because it was, you know, I have input. I, I don't have time for research. I'm just like doing work. And I think with everything changing, reading up, on art like reading books like having a sense of language having a sense of what's happening in the visual world around us is absolutely crucial and it's also for me crucial not to do it with like oh i have to get the latest color combinations for my next piece but to just like be kind of emotionally prepared for changing uh, for how things are changing. That's also what I meant earlier with like, when you rely on craft, when I'm just in my little bubble of my work and I'm the feedback loop is just between my drawing and myself, the world kind of like wanders off and, uh, and doesn't touch me. This takes time and it takes commitment to go into a gallery, to read a book. And you know, it's not my first instinct to do that because I'm so excited to work. I, I would love to work 14 hours a day not look at anything else. Sometimes I have to force myself and say like, can I clean that brain? Can I get get new images in there? Uh, Get away from that stuff. And I think that used to be a luxury and now I would say it's a necessity. It's something that when you're a professional designer, you have to set time aside for that because otherwise it will come
0: come back to haunt you. I'm enjoying just feeding you your own quotes after you've said something. If you, if you don't mind, I'm going to keep that as an amazing quote right here. It says, right now I'm blissfully busy, but I'm aware the party can end very quickly. The only thing I can do to make sure my work is in demand is actually focus on doing good work. This is difficult in the best of circumstances, and it gets downright impossible when you have to simultaneously worry about money. So this is a little bit, uh, it seems like you're, you're, um, referencing this idea of you, you have to find this balance between commitment to the work and sitting down in front of the paper and not being caught up in trying to create something of genius, but rather just creating and also not living in a vacuum. Like that is a, um, a, privileged environment that very few people get to operate in and yet we've got this toxic image that that's where that's the world where all artists operate i just don't know very many most of the ones that i know are paranoid about running out of money they're worried about uh maybe not their next paycheck but their next feature film or their next you know something so again what what is how do we keep from you know what's the balance here? How do we, how do you find the balance between giving yourself room to create and not living in a bubble? Is it just, is that the tension that is this the new, um, is this the new struggle for artists or has this always been the case?
1: Well, I think to a degree, it's always been the case. Uh, I think we're much more aware of it now. Um, and at some point also it's about personality. I know some people who can operate with like the most insane stuff going on in the background. Um, I know I have to have be in emotionally an absolutely blissful place, otherwise I can't work. If I have some fight with somebody, if somebody is angry at me, it shuts down all my work. I'm incapable of focusing on on, on the page Um, if there's some kind nasty stuff. So the moment I smell trouble, I back off and uh, but this is my personal uh, other people can't work like that that's probably I couldn't be in like the film business where you're like a certain amount of coming kind of like back and forth and a little uh, you know, hard-nosed discussion is is, is uh, an essential part of the job I'm just not built for that but I think what um, I think it's important to be aware of where your limitations are and with the financial thing is always difficult and so there's kind of two ends the one is like people who are so independently rich and successful that they don't have to think about it then yeah then you're fine you, can, you gotta go can like create well, murals in some cave and and be happy um then there's the other part which of course encapsulates a lot of us is uh who just really have to worry paycheck to paycheck that's the case you can't move things around, you just have to kind of pay for school. And, and, and what I find really freaky, uh, like the whole medical, uh, uh, the, the health insurance thing in the States is something that I find unfathomable, especially for freelancers. This is, this is a true tragedy that this is something that constantly looms over all the freelancers. I mean, this I think uh, uh, would make life so much better if that threat was just not there. Um, it's the number it's, one cause it's, it's, for
0: bankruptcy in the United States. Yes.
1: Medical. Yeah. And, and vice versa. It's like the moment you're bankrupt, also you lose your health insurance. And so yeah. it's, it's it, it, I think it's really it's so, so terrible. But uh, so I think the only thing we can really talk about is the middle thing. Let's say you somehow make enough money that you can you have a little room to breathe. What I think is so important is to see money as you know, an enabler to buy a new computer, to maybe even hire somebody, but also to give you breathing room. And for me, the greatest disasters that I heard from friends and colleagues, where their like, careers ended, it was usually not the great, you know, like like a terrible disease or, or 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 some other tragedy. It was usually overhead. People went ahead and started hiring, started to starting to move in a huge office space and said, I'm going to do it big. And some people have done it extremely successfully. But these are the only times where I heard that great careers have nosedived was when people overextended them on monthly expenses. And you know, if I have to take a loan of $5,000 to kind of get a new camera or computer, I might be able to deal with that. But if I have $5,000 month after month after month, after half a year, this is a hole that's impossible to climb out of. And so I'm extremely wary of that stuff. And I try to kind of as much as possible. And again, this is very personal, but have something that just says this doomsday moment is always three months away. So I feel for the next five hours, I can focus on my drawing. And once a week or once a month, I'll have to check and really see like, is it just, am I really in a, in a, in a good spot or not? But I think keeping that that kind of like that scary moment a few months out, this will allow you to every day kind of go into a place of uninterrupted creative work where this the whole the financial worry doesn't doesn't seep in. I think if you can do that, this is, this is the, the most essential luxury like better than the fastest computer and the greatest cameras if you can afford this this level of mental freedom that just like 3 months of expenses in the bank can give you this is this is the best the, tech, the best equipment you should shoot for i think as a freelancer
0: yeah there's nothing quite as valuable as peace of mind yeah you know and that, that the space to create um, I want to shift our attention to you know you've, you've spoken about technology quite a bit here in our conversation about how you should organize it, make it useful to you, things like Dropbox and but a little, little, little bit tactical. But I want to go to the concept of technology, uh, and that is the ability you you shared. You know, if uh, you're just now tuning in, um, well, I'm sad that you've missed our discussion. But I'm here with uh, Christoph Neiman and. You know, the amazing illustrator um, behind so many things from the New Yorker, National Geographic, New York Times Magazine. Um, and for those who who do pay attention to you on social media, it looks like you do a lot of you said earlier just a moment ago about sketches and just lightweight sort of tests that you continue to put out in the world. And so it seems like you simultaneously use this as a vehicle for testing and you're very active there. And yet, you know, I've, I've heard you speak before in other places that you can't actually judge the merit of work based on the number of likes because these algorithms, they do such a fantastic job of messing with our own brain as a function of, you know, that is by design. So, you know, as so many other things, this is a little bit paradoxical. And I'm wondering if you can help us understand, because you clearly are a master at this. You use it in the ways that you can get information, um, you know market, you know, val- evaluating the efficacy of an idea, and yet you don't get attached to the outcome. so for for again, folks watching from all over the world now, help us understand how you you nailed this balance because it's as as another professional artist watching you, I can see, you testing and playing, and then you see, if you're really familiar with your work, you see it pop up again later, something you tested, you know, six months ago. So help us understand your relationship with uh, social media.
1: Well, well, I think there's really two separate things we have to discuss. The one is social media. And I think that, let's talk about the bad stuff of social media first. So the, the best, the, the, the most terrible thing really is, I think that we have, an, an algorithm but first of all we have the design aspect instagram is beautiful but instagram is tiny and instagram also i scroll through my feed so i probably have like a tenth of a second to stop and say oh there's something happening here why do i stop it's because it's very very intriguing for one way or because it's very familiar Celebr- a celebrity face uh, something that i've seen before that i love so if I do something that's not attention stopping in this like 0.3 seconds, the chances for the algorithm to pick it up is dramatically going down. So the moment I try to go against that, I, it's really uh, the, the chances of that stuff living is not, is not really great. And this is something you have to be aware of. Also, even if today I figured it out, all my art fits this bill perfectly. I get like so many likes, everything's great. Tomorrow they might change the the algorithm. For some reason, like they say, only images with green on the bottom, an animal on the upper left, and uh, a lighthouse on the upper right is the only thing that works. I sit here and say, where are all my fans? Where are all my likes? They're gone. And it can drive you absolutely insane if you try to think why did this thing work or doesn't. And I haven't, I've really, I've done it for a while. I have absolutely no idea what works and what doesn't work. It, I, maybe there's something with the time of the day or with the technique. It makes no sense uh, no sense uh, uh, to me. The fantastic thing about social media, and I think that's also the reason why we have to do it, it doesn't matter whether you have 100 followers or 100,000, uh, for the first time it has given us as creators the chance to talk to the audience directly. We were absolutely dependent until 10 years ago for Uh, middlemen and the middlemen I love you know like the newspapers the magazines the museums the publishers they took care of that they went to the audience we had to give our stuff to them they would carry it on to the audience all we had to do is like sit there hand it to the art director and not, not think about it anymore Now we have the chance to actually go directly to the audience. And there was always the frustration. I'm sure you know that you give them five options. They go for number four, and you know, no, number one, that's the good one. Why don't you get it? Now we can take number one and say, here, audience, decide for yourself. And this I love this part of talking directly to the audience is is absolutely amazing. The audience is so much smarter than most editors would give them credit for especially when it comes to visuals i mean this is this has been for me the single 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 biggest revelation of um of social media is that people get stuff on such a subtle, uh, subtle level um but ultimately and this is something where i think it, it changes all the time and it's uh, ultimately for our work it doesn't matter that much because we're in the same boat as everybody who does music or sells a product um, you have to spend some time with it. I think there's no no science uh, for that. The more interesting question for me is technology at large. So the technology of creating stuff. And this really is the question. That I turn on my computer. Why? You know, why don't I take a brush and uh, a jar of ink? Like what happens at the computer? And for me, the simplest way to say, like, when do I try to use the computer is that when I when it solves a problem I had before I turned on the computer. And so as an example, like as I mentioned earlier, as a kid, you draw a house, you want the roof to be red. You try all the felt tip markers and watercolors, it's always like uneven. And I remember the first time taking Photoshop, I draw the roof, fill, and it's like 100 magenta, 100 yellow, perfect. Like one flat, the color, and this, is, this was like, the, the answer to my prayers of like age four to uh, 18, it was just magical. And so I'm always looking for these things. Yeah you know, when you, when I make movies, when I make animations, I have something that I want to do. And the computer allows me to do this much more efficient, much faster, nicer, higher quality than I could with other means. And uh, there's other than the computer or technology, like technology companies, they, want you to use their product. They need to innovate to keep things interesting. So they come up with new stuff. And often you go, like, oh, this is, this is fun. But you're like, why? And, my, and maybe I, I, I piss off a few web designers here. My, my favorite example is parallax scrolling. This is a thing, it was like super hot five years ago. Everything was parallax scrolling. It's like, why? I have absolutely no desire to have image and text flowed by each other. This was a beautiful gimmick. It was interesting for a month and a half, but it was just, I it didn't do anything in terms of communication. And I think when you look through your applications, whether it's, you know, Illustrator or Photoshop or uh, After Effects, it's 90% stuff that doesn't sell, um, serve a storytelling purpose. And this is what I try to stay away from because I feel I just get lost in it and I just create technology for technology's sake. Um, this is especially true when it comes to VR, AR, which I've played with a lot, but a lot of it is always like, you know, do I do this because it's possible because I find it stimulating creatively or is there actually a benefit for the reader out there? Is somebody saying like, oh, I can turn around and see what's above me and below me. Um, this is make my experience better. Mm. And as much as I love VR, I have to admit, I was never sitting in a James Bond movie and say, gee, I wish I could turn around and see what's happening on the, the top of that building there. I don't care. I wanna see what's happening right in front of my eyes. I want the director to pull me right to that thing. So I think VR and AR are fantastic. They are fantastic opportunities, but I think for, the, for this kind of narration, surprise-based storytelling, they're not great tools. And I think we're drawn to them because they're new and they're sexy. But uh, I think it's very important for us to be very critical of all the shiny new things in front of us.
0: Now oh, that applies to so many things: to cameras, to cinema. <sighs> to, like the the size of the production does not equal the quality of the work. The expense, at, you know, of your tools is not a correlation to what you can produce. but Ah. i okay sorry i have to i have to interrupt you here please with
1: cameras with cameras it's a totally different animal because cameras are so sexy and i just (laughs) wish i could afford to just buy new cameras all the time just like get like one of these new chunky things and different lenses I don't care what they produce. I probably, like, my images look the same with all of them. I think the only difference is the resolution. But I just love, it's so much better than getting a new application for uh, <laughs> uh, for the computer. But I'm sure you, you have that experience,
0: right? Oh, yeah. So many times you start getting the new cram- cameras just because of the new cameras and not necessarily the features. Like, oh, the new you know, pro Nikon just came out. Uh, I've got to get that one. And you don't even know why you just, as a professional, that's, I guess, one of the things that you're- It's
1: a fantastic excuse, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah full, I think that, that, that one of the few great benefits of being an artist, like art supply stores. <laughs> and just like getting all those brushes and the the, the all the stuff that I never use, but it's just, I, I just love that so much. It has very little artistic benefit, but oh God, it's so sexy. <laughs>
0: Uh, I love it. Um, Well, uh, this is going to be a a short leap, but speaking of sexy, I was so moved by your um, feature segment in the series Abstract on Netflix. And one of our mutual friends, the producer of that, Scott Datich, who's also been on the show, if you're um, just tuning in, you can go back and find a previous episode with uh, just Google my name and Scott's name. But he produced an amazing series, co-produced uh, on Netflix, called Abstract the Art of Design, in which you were one of the featured creators, along with a handful of other people who are also amongst the best in the world at their craft. So two questions. A, what was that like being first selected amongst you know uh, uh, peers of the very, very, very top in um, in every field, um, top architects, designers, uh, interior folks, and second, the process of making a uh, 30, uh, thirty minutes or sixty minutes. I'm missing. Uh, I forgot. Is it forty something?
1: 40 40 something. 45. 40
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, and about having you know a film crew follow you around and making a forty five minute documentary that now clearly millions and millions of people have seen. it. if you haven't seen this, folks. Go check it out on your Netflix. Abstract: The Art of Design, uh, especially the 2017 season, which is where um, where Christoph was featured. So, what was that like? A, being selected, and then B, what was the process of uh, of making that film like?
1: Well, being selected was kind of like a little whatever because you know, I've done some television stuff, Scott called me up at some point or email, and, and he's a friend. I've worked with him for a long time. He's he's fantastic. He said, oh, I have this idea for, for a television thing, for Netflix, um, and I would like you to kind of have one of the episodes. And I thought, oh, that sounds really great, and if you want me to do it, of course I'm going to do it. I don't know if I have time for it. There's so much work and so, but yeah, if if you ask me that, there's no no question. But I thought it's just like it's a thing. It's a you know like they come, they film, they cut it together. I had absolutely no idea what that would actually mean in terms of how many people would see it, and uh, and I'm probably glad I didn't. For me, it was more Scott asked. Of course, I say yes. Uh, I'm sure it's gonna be. I'm sure it's gonna be super professional and great and fantastic because he knows what he's doing. Um, and then when the whole production thing started, I realized that okay, this is not like the other stuff I had been doing in the past, which is usually like a camera team comes in, there's some somebody standing there with a microphone, two lights, and then you film for an hour and then you get like two minutes out. It's like first of all, there was the director Morgan Neville, who's he and Scott, they were like for me the 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 main go-to people, and. So Morgan started with being on the phone with me for probably 10 hours. We had like five sessions at the two hours where we just talked, like the two of us just talking about the process. And this informed the whole story that we would then later do. And this is something I never experienced. Usually people come in, they have their the question, I say my things and this whole, like if you've seen the, 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 the series, it's a little bit about the conflict between what he wants me to do and what I don't feel comfortable doing because I think it has nothing to do with the art. You know, how, Is it about the artist or the art? What does the viewer want to see? So this kind of conflict becomes a little bit of the, 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 the thread that goes through the um, thing. So that part was really interesting to see it, like that level of storytelling from Scott and Morgan's side that I just hadn't anticipated. Um, and then the second thing was just the production value, which was something again i've never seen they came to the studio built these gigantic daylight just this, this daylight screen that's bigger than my studio beaming in from the outside kind of creating daylight from six in the morning to to ten at night um then there's this one shot in the series where it was in february it was crazy cold and they want to have this shot where i sit my, at my desk and then there's a hard cut and i sit outside in the park drawing and then the i think it's called the Ballhaus shot. Right, where the camera moves around a standing target. So they had built these kind of camera train tracks, a circle of probably 30 feet in a park uh, a, a mile from here. I think they spent a day just building that set, set up my desk with pencils, phone, drawing pads, everything for a shot that's in the, in the series probably 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It looks absolutely gorgeous, but just seeing that amount of love to detail to storytelling um, in a production was just absolutely wild and when i saw it it was just like wow that actually looks really cool and like the cameras they used the 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 dp was was fantastic and, and the, the the whole filmmaking crew this was something where just say of course your, art, your your heart is a crave just jumps when you see that this level of professionalism this level of craft and technique was just Wild, and but that goes through the entire series. When you look at all the the different ones, there are sometimes different directors. Just this level of technical brilliance is uh, something
0: that I think is alone little more, worth watching. Mm. Yes, uh, separate but related question came in from Instagram Live from Gainsham seven four one five. How do you construct a portfolio outside of college? If you want to get good work, what, you know, what, clearly you, you have a life of creative work that allowed Scott to say, I want to feature you Christoph, in my film, but for someone like this particular person who's writing in, how do you know the status of your work? If you want to get somewhere, what is the process of constructing your portfolio?
1: I think on there, there's of course no kind of no one way. There's one thing that I think works as a like an advice you can follow, or in the abstract or in the, in, in the concrete. And it is, let's say you want to be do editorial illustration or illustration in general. If you would kind of go around the stuff you see online, magazines, newspapers, and you cut out 20 things, 20 pieces of work where you think this is fantastic. I would have loved to be on the cover of Time, uh, do a spread in New Yorker, uh, uh, do this ad for Coca Cola, just like collect these things and say like, I would have loved to do these 20 things. And then you go through your best work, lucky shot or not, and say, which of my pieces could live up to that? If I was an art director, it doesn't have to be the same. It has doesn't have to be stylistically the same. But if I saw my drawing instead of that drawing, would I go like, oh yeah, of course, it's a cover for the New Yorker. Just like, it has the same quality. And just, and I think there's probably no way that immediately you will have this quality, but then say that, okay, after a year, I'm gonna produce work and see if I can fill 10 or 12 or 15 of these spots with my own year, with my own work. And ideally you wanna have 25 pieces where you see like, look, if they would have come to me, I would have given them this and it would have been great. And for this one, I would have given them that. And with all of these pieces, and I think that's in the next level, this is stuff that was not lucky. This is stuff that I have the solid craft to reproduce under pressure. And this is the threshold. This is the stuff that you go out with. And you know, it's not about, you know, say, oh, I love Myra Kalman. It needs to look like her. It's more like my work would have to be in the same place. And I would feel like I would be proud. If that was there, instead of my hero's work, I would say like, call my grandma and say, look, I did this and feel, I I wasn't lucky that they gave me this. I I just, the the quality of the work justified this. And I think this is like this way, if you kind of have 20 pieces like that, then you have a portfolio.
0: Amazing, amazing. Last question, and this is uh, around a saying that I've got, which is it's impossible to stand out and fit in at the same time and we we like to fit in to be accepted we're social animals and yet for our work to make its way in the world just to to catch that eye when you're scrolling or to get the uh, heart or mind of an art director captured it has to stand out and so how do we reconcile this this um this dichotomy again how do we both uh, stay with the times, but also, uh, I, again, referencing um, Sunday sketches, you talk a lot about um, not being intimidated by trends and just pursuing your vision relentlessly, with what you call unfazed determinism. To me, this is a huge piece for people because we, again, we we want to fit in and we want to stand out at the same time. How do you think about that, and how do you um, manage your time between um, sticking to your guns and and, uh, and abiding by your inner true vision and also not not being completely irrelevant?
1: Well, I think there's a very simple solution. You have to do both. You have to spend your entire day doing crazy artistic work, and then you somehow, somehow have to magically... Go back to seven o'clock in the morning and do the entire day again and do very focused, craft-based work. No, it's we really, I think the only solution is just doing a lot of work. And I think that's the maybe that's the one talent that you need to have is to have this exuberance to do stuff. To, like not counting the hours, to keep on working like when the day is over, because I think that's there there's no there's no shortcut for that. And uh, maybe some people are lucky and they just like have the the perfect radar, kind like, of go in the right direction and just don't care what people say. I don't have that. I don't know actually anybody who has that. Everybody just like does a lot of stuff and you do 10 and you hope that one maybe sticks. Um, and I think this work ethic will also will create work relations, which yeah, a career is not made uh, by an outlier, I can make one drawing and it goes on Instagram and gets like a gazillion likes and maybe gets me a million followers tomorrow. This changes nothing. Yes, yeah, the next one, I will always get like a certain, if the the, the, the work I do after that is boring, like my career is over. So I think the consistency is really what makes the, um, uh, uh, what creates your career. And yes, that means every once in a while something needs to be a little, little bit more exciting than some stuff. You need these magic moments. But um, I think the consistency is this is the stuff you you should worry about, I think, being able to deliver, being able to kind of having the rhythm that allows you to put in these or find these five hours. Then the rest actually, it sorts itself out quite surprisingly um, once, you, once you have that and And that will then create work relations. People will start trusting you and they call you not because of your Instagram post from last night, but because they know they worked with you before. They know you can deliver, you can make their life easier. And this is, I think, 90% of what we do is we we have the, the, or like what, what gets me and you the next job is people can sleep at night because they call us. This is this is the one thing on your. If they, it's this like, and in, and in, 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 if people associate your name with, oh, if I call them, I can calm down a little bit. Then you're safe. Then, then I think then your career is is in, in very in an extremely fantastic position.
0: Well, spoken right there. You heard it uh, uh, from the one and only Christoph Niemann. And if you've just tuned in uh unlucky for you we're signing off but this will be continually replayed and a drop again on audio here on the chase jarvis live show at the creative live um christoph thank you so much for spending an hour with us today your work is um at the top of the illustrator pinnacle around the planet so inspiring uh and i just want to thank you for taking your time to inspire all of us we've got again people tuning in uh new zealand south africa uh, just saw Florida in the mix. Um, thank you so much for being here today. And if you needed to direct people, or if I asked you rather to direct people to, uh, your coordinates on the internet, where are some places where, uh, we would go to find more about you or more your work. In in addition to what I've mentioned, uh, you know, the series abstract on Netflix, um, where else would you steer folks?
1: Um, well, my website is christophniemann.com. Easy enough, and then I'm like kind of, the handle is abstract sunday on Instagram and uh, and Twitter and uh, Facebook. So these are the these are the easiest uh, places to find me. And thank you so much. I mean, this was a lot of fun, and I'm I'm flattered by like kind of the amount of uh, uh, like preparation you must have done to find all these quotes. And so this is this is a fantastic compliment. And um, yes yeah, so i just want to encourage you like when you when you say these names of like the, the cities of course like in this day and age like not being able to travel is like, it's really breaking my heart but just like a huge shout out to all the designers around the world and for me one of the greatest things i learned when i traveled is you go to a different country you can barely communicate find a similar language but the relief of finding that no matter where you go, we all struggle with the same thing, but we all get excited for the same thing. Like we all drawn to what we do because there's this excitement in visuals. And so let's hope that all the insanity out there cannot break that. And uh, yeah, thanks for putting on that show to keep that excitement going.
0: All right. Well, Jones and company, Lauren, Radana, Daniel, Guillermo, Chris, Laura, Steven, um, New, so many folks from around the world—they're—they're they're not just countries; they're humans, and they're inspired by your work. And thank you so much for being an inspiring human, in addition to the work that you put out there in the world. And uh, we'll make sure to follow up, and we'll get you the audio. All the—we're going to make so many good little excerpts from this. You've dropped so many nuggets, so we'll—we'll we'll share those with you in the not too soon future. And again, everyone in the world, thank you so much for tuning in. And please do yourself a favor and follow Christophe everywhere you can. Cause it's pure gold Christophe. Thank you so much. For signing off. I hope you have a fantastic.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you all for listening. Bye.
0: All right. That is a wrap, but before you go, Hey, I wanted to say thank you so much. And I do note that many of you have asked how you can help me out there in the world. And I have a great answer for that. And it is sharing this show. Um, My goal is I create this content with a a talented, hardworking crew over here at Creative Live, and our goal is to get this information out there into the world, help the the greatest creators and, and entrepreneurs of our time get their ideas spread far and wide. So you sharing your takeaways or just links to the show, any of the podcast platforms or whatever, means the world to me. Thing two, how you can help if you care, is to leave a review at your preferred podcast platform. That also helps surface uh, this show, the guests, uh, in, in search results on each of the platforms. And it means a lot. So thank you so much. Really, really grateful. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode, hopefully soon, maybe next, maybe right after this, maybe you're gonna listen anyway, whenever you get around to it, I'm here. Thank you.